Tonight's reading from the Old and New Testaments can be found on page 2 of your bulletin. Deuteronomy 7.22 The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. Exodus 16.18 But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Luke 19.17 And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've had a great weekend and are so grateful for uh, Pastor Stuart McAlpine, who is actually officially on sabbatical, but spent part of it, unlike me, who wouldn't come and be with you during his sabbatical. Uh, Stuart does me one better uh, by doing this, but um, what can I say? I've said a bit of this retreat, but I want to say it again uh, because it fills my heart to say it. Um, In this city, our city that we care about, this mission field, this lantern, this lamp from heaven, uh, Stuart is a city father, a true city father. He planted a church in 1987, Christ Our Shepherd, Capitol Hill. I walk by it all the time. Many of you do too. It has been a shining light of faithfulness, both uh, in its holding up the truth of God's grace and the gospel, but also in its love for the city. And part of Stuart's love manifested itself in praying uh, for years and making efforts to gather pastors from the many churches in the city, his desire to see the Capital C Church come together. And that uh, showed itself in a couple different ways. One, uh, it has showed itself in him uh, seeking out a then somewhat young church planner uh, who resembled me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> many years ago and just meeting with me, pursuing me, and uh, filling into my life. Uh, He and his wife, Celia, have been a blessing to not only this city but the world. They've uh, started an organization called Ask, and I want to plug his book on prayer. If I I could only give you, you know, two books to read on prayer, his would be one of them. Um, You would do yourself well to read it. It's a fresh voice. Um, but Ask Network is involved in over 40 nations. Uh, they labor tirelessly. And he is also a leader of this fellowship group that I've told you about. It's cross denominational, cross cultural in the city. And he leads that with his friend uh, T.L. Rogers. And so they model cross cultural relationships even as they spur us on. So uh, this man's ministry is just a, a harvest. And uh, we have a chance to uh, get in on some of the good fruit this evening. So, uh, Stuart, thank you so much for being here. Will you come on up? And I'd love to pray for you, and we'll uh, get to it. The trick now is for both of us not to fall off this thing. So I almost did. I'm going to let you have most of it here. Great. Thank you, God, so much for your grace in Stuart's life. Thank you for his willingness to give of us, uh, give to us this weekend. We pray right now that you would fill him with your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. You're gracious. 
Beware when all men speak well of thee. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, at this season uh, of life, he's being modest, but your pastor plays a pretty significant role uh, in, in the gathering of pastors in the city. Uh, our hearts are committed to next generation, what God's doing. And um, pray for it. There's probably, probably between 100 and 120 uh, pastors uh, that are being gathered. Uh, there was prayer for years for this city. It was a barren city for church planting. There's been a tsunami of church planting in the last 10, 15, uh, 15 years. And uh, we just have a, a great joy in following, following up. You know, it's, sometimes there's, com- there's complaints made by old standing locals that, you know, new churches pop up here, there, and everywhere. They're suddenly there. No one knows about it. No one checked anything out. No one talked to locals. And I've talked to some pastors who, who uh, you know, we just need to go, go and get healing prayer. But... Um, we need to do due diligence as those who live in the city and pastor in the city to be in a place where we are welcoming in the work of the Lord and the servants of the Lord and being strategic about what's happening in the city. Um, you know, so many battles are lost in history because people in a unit um, in, end up being bound more to the unit and the leadership of the unit than the overall commander and the plan of the battlefield. And uh, it, it's sad when that starts to happen in churches and cities where we're, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're localized, you know, we're, we're fine in how we relate together, and it's good to relate together well. But we don't develop that strategic cohesiveness in terms of uh, expressing together God's love, uh, his mercy and justice in a city. And um, I haven't got any minutes to waste talking about this, but... but um, just stoke, to stoke your prayers on it. Um, in 2013, we held our first what we called City Fathers Mothers Conference. And um, one of the things we shared at that was, um, I was sharing with some of these young church planters, that we're, we're pretty good at digging wells. You know, every church is a wonderful well. But what's the point of digging all these wells and having a lousy irrigation system? And so one of the exciting things that God's been doing, I'd say there are things happening in this city that have been prayed for for 30 years. How about that? Yeah. Just to encourage you. Things are happening, especially in terms of uh, a relationship and the common pursuit for God's reconciling gospel power in the city. All those in favor say yeah. 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 That's the Presbyterian for amen, right. (laughs) Now, you know, I almost went down to the kids because what I want to share with you and I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, I, could have, I could go down and talk to them about it, and they'd get it. There's a real simplicity in what I want to share with you tonight. I want to say, th- those of you who go to the retreat and, and, and came back, um, I feel like just saying you can all leave church. I want to give you the rest of the night off. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in awe. And um, I, I know we had a lovely, relaxed retreat, but the material we were dealing with was was kind of intense, really. Um, and I, I just want to say something so simple as a counterpoint to what we were sharing. But uh, if you weren't there, it'll make, it'll make sense um, anyway. And it was interesting, 
what I had in my mind to share with you, um, Glenn stood up at the opening of the first session yesterday and basically gave the message. And it was very encouraging to hear it. And he, he, I don't know if you remember those of you, he said he was commenting joyfully on how God does such a lot with such a little. Do you remember him saying that? And so I basically want to come in his wake and, and confirm that. We're in a Chinese community church. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, Be not afraid of going slowly, only of standing still. There's a French proverb that says, Petit à petit l'oiseau face on knee means slow and steady, the little bird builds the nest. How many of you are Tolkien fans? J.R. He said, little by little, one travels far. Great French poet Baudelaire, nothing can be done, nothing, except little by little. Many things cannot be overcome when they're together but yield themselves when taken little by little. Plutarch. C.S. Lewis talking about holiness. He said in classic Lewis style, a week is not enough. And if you think about our vernacular and how we talk, I mean, think of all the little phrases that we use step by step, drop by drop, inch by inch, dribs and drabs, Line upon line, day upon day, day by day, bit by bit, point by point, clause by clause, item by item, stage by stage, play by play, one by one, slowly but surely, little by little. One evening uh, last October, just over a year ago, I I sat down to watch the news, which was showing the troubling footage of the terrible devastation of the Florida panhandle after Hurricane Michael had stormed its violent way. Uh, across uh, the coastline on October the 10th, 2018. And the camera shot to a man standing amidst absolute chaos and debris of his upturned life and home. And the journalist asked him rather desperately, how are you going to recover? And the man was remarkably calm, appeared unnervingly unruffled, and he spoke three words, little by little. Cut to later that week in my life, I'm sitting on my back balcony, and I'm meditating. I don't, this just sounds, makes sense, sound I'm awfully spiritual. You know, I don't all sit in my back balcony and meditate. But I, 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 was, I was dealing with some issues. So I really had to sit in my balcony and seek the Lord. Uh, and I was meditating on the story of the widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. And I was feeling freshly exercised by a particular phrase in that account. And I was about to go into the next chapter, chapter 18, where if you remember, Elijah tells Ahab, in the midst of a crippling drought, that there is the sound of heavy rain. Uh, There was no going back now for the prophet. The bad news, absolutely no sign of rain. So it's no wonder that he got into a fetal position. The text says he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Anyone been there? And no wonder he sent his servant up to the top of the mountain so many times to report what he saw given there was no proverbial cloud in the sky. And Elijah's winding himself into an even tighter little ball of sort of skinny, malnourished flesh when the servant ascended for the seventh time and reported that he'd seen a cloud as small as a man's hand. Now, the story happened to be extremely relevant to me at that moment in my life 
because of particular circumstances that I was dealing with. And it, it came as a word from the Lord, no less. And I was still mulling over the widow's story and was in a very pensive mood. Now, most of you don't know me, so you're going to think I'm completely nuts after this. Um, could you show a, yeah, am I, can I see the picture if it comes up? Is that it? Yeah. So I'm looking off my balcony and, oops, I nearly fell off the balcony. Eh? So, <laughs> do you have healing ministry in this church? <laughs> and there we are, the glorious view. And I sort of looked at that thing. I thought, ah, because the, the sky had been completely clear the minute before. Next, next picture. Yeah, it's still there. But what's it doing there and where did it come from? Next picture. Oh my goodness, it's an angel. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd raced in as I started to see this and to get my camera. There it is. Next picture. It's a very quick sequence. Now, I was slightly bemused. Uh, and yes, happenstance, maybe. But it was remarkable how that served to gently reinforce the Lord's encouragement to me in what I'd just been reading about what God can bring out of nothing and what he can do from the little, which I needed as a word of encouragement in my life. The reminder that, you know, our God doesn't even need something to work with. The enemy of our souls needs something. The creator needs nothing. He can bring something out of nothing. And if we feel we have nothing, if the space is empty, that's a place the Creator can start with and bring something out of nothing. So the Lord just used that flighting thing in the sky as an encouragement to me that in what I was dealing with in my life, He could be in the little and bring something out of nothing. I went back, this is just by way of personal testimony, I went back inside, went back up to my study, to my desk, for some reason, unpremeditated. I went back to Psalm 37, mainly because it had been preached in our church the preceding Sunday uh, by a pastor friend of mine. And the first words that my eyes fell on, I opened my Bible, probably because they were just smack in the middle of the page, was just a little further into the psalm than where the preacher had actually expounded. In verse 16, my eyes fell on these words, Better is the little of the faithful than the abundance of many faithless people. And that clinched it, because I, I saw immediately that, how that what was on my heart, in fact, linked with the psalm, because the opening words were, do not fret. I was dealing with some extraordinary circumstances. There was an invitation to fret and anxiety. And it was precisely the awareness of the little and the lack and the least that becomes, for most of us, the source of potential fretting and anxiety. And David talks about the way that public cultural faithlessness and evil, as defined by God's laws, gets aggressively in the face of the faithful who seem overwhelmed and overrun by the onslaught with little to respond with. The wicked plot against the righteous, gnash their teeth at them, they draw the sword, they bend the bow to slow those to slay those whose ways are upright. But then it immediately says after that, better is the little of the faithless. Of the faithful. So when the opposition to public faith and the enmity toward holiness seem overwhelming, there's a lot that one can say about the little 
that we feel we have in the face of all this, which is powerful in the hands of God. So I'm just going to use a a Sunday school thought. How many of you know we're called to be childlike, not childish? Look, I realized in what we talked about in the retreat, when we're dealing with issues of time, stewardship of time, there's an intensity in that, and it's easy for us to wander off thinking, you know, I've got to do more, I'm not doing enough, and on and on and on and on. And we drive ourselves with a rod on our own back. And so I'm, 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 I'm bringing this word tonight very simply as an encouragement to you. What is it about this little by little? And I'm just going to quickly mention four different areas. The first I'm going to call possession. Deuteronomy 7.22 is read to us. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. How? Little by little. On the threshold of entering the promised land. This is a repeat of the promise given at Sinai after the exodus from Egypt and the beginning of their journey. At Exodus, Exodus 23, God had said, I will not drive them out in a single year. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Now, the natural response of I'm an Israelite is you've got to be kidding me. We've taken 40 years to get here. We're going to get the land and yet position, possession is going to be little by little. We want it all. We want it now. No more delays. We want things to go away, be sorted out quickly, and we want instant satisfaction. Oh, and instant sanctification while you're at it. So though the initial conquest of Canaan was sudden and immediate, the process of occupation and settlement was going to take longer. One might argue that being born again is sudden, that the transfer from darkness to light is not on a layaway plan. But then something starts to happen as we experience the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that starts to challenge and change us and heal and deliver us and teach us and mature us. I don't mean to get excited about truth. And when it comes to spiritual possession and taking new ground and you know, our advances in ministry and maturity, we, we often tend to put the emphasis only on power. And yes, indeed, it requires a manifestation of spiritual power, given what needs to be removed from the territory of our hearts or the public square of a nation. But it is not just about power. It's about something we talked a bit about at the retreat. It's about patience. It's about discerning and cooperating with the timeliness of God in our circumstances and lives. Patience makes the possession. Little by little makes for more and more. God knows what's what. And the text gives a reason for the little by little. They did not yet have the resources or population to administer the land. Possession was dependent on their increase. And equally, our commitment to a long obedience in the same direction that God has told us to walk with a devotion and a determination to increase in maturity and capacity, though it might seem slow and little by little, it is sure. God was a realist. He said there was a lot of wild animals in the land that would need to be taken care of, and they would not be able to do it all at once. By the way, as I look out at you, it's, just, it's wonderful. I, I love grace, and we love our local churches where there's such a gorgeous spread uh, of the generations. The work of God's always try you know, quadruple generational. 
And one element in this that I'll just mention as a side is that there is always a new generation coming up that needs to learn its warfare and needs to learn its trust and its walk with God. Uh, I can't go into detail. I'm, I'm on a sabbatical. Glenn mentioned it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ramping down out of public leadership at our church on a year's sabbatical. How great is that? I'm just dis- I've just disappeared. <laughs> and, um, but there's an element of that that's important, that a new generation has to learn its battles and its walk of faith. It's not a planting or founding generation stories or, or miracles. or That's important. We don't belittle that. But God says he's going to leave some wild animals for them <laughs> to learn their warfare, to learn to walk by faith. And to learn to look, uh, to trust. And I'm sure that's true of your own church. I'm sure, you, you know, as, as we get to the end of a generational life of a church and leadership, we have to learn again how we advance, little by little. And God's simply ensuring that they would have to remain utterly dependent on Him if they were going to succeed in the project. They would need continual vigilance and discernment to, to establish right spiritual order and governance doesn't happen by fiat or by imposition. And maybe I can just make a personal application in passing here that uh, maybe I'm speaking to someone here tonight and the Lord has, has brought you into a new place. Maybe for someone here it's a, a new geographical place, so you're even new to this community. And we come with desire, you know, we come with passions. There's so much in us that doesn't want to wait. Let me assure you, God is not slow, Scripture says, as some count slowness. The train of his grace is always on time. He will not relate on his promise to you, dear heart. But the word of the Lord to you is not to sit back and say nothing is happening, but to be obedient, putting one advancing spiritual foot in front of another and growing in Christ and rooting in this place little by little. Corporately, um, when the Lord called us to plant COSC 32 years ago, uh, like most plants, totally overwhelmed by the venture. Who? With what? And who are we among so many? And like the Israelites, we didn't have the population. We didn't have the numbers to make spiritual possession. It was this little by little word that the Lord gave me as a church planter. And in saying to you tonight that the Lord has given you occupation, he's given you a place, and he's given you a people. And there's much land to possess. And there'll be another generation that will learn its walk, little by little. We want our foundations and our advance to be grounded in miracle. That's why Jericho Jericho was the opening door of possession in the promised land. Because if it's founded in miracle, it can only be sustained by miracle. Can only be sustained little by little, by miracle. Those wild beasts are taken little by little. And it's overwhelming given the pressures. It's overwhelming given the demands in our time. And little by little doesn't look much. But I want to encourage you personally as a church, your possession of the things of God, it's all right. Regardless of the exigencies of time passing, it is little by little. Provision, same thing. He who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. I love this. And as, as we look out on each other tonight in this gathering, there is a diversity of need in these pews tonight. 
there's a unity of provision. There's an equality in the spiritual share-out of what God does, regardless of how quantitatively we're tempted to see it. There may be a disparity of capacity among us, but there is a comparability of fulfillment and provision from the living God. It's interesting that Paul uses this incident about manna when he's teaching the Corinthians about the equal effectiveness of our giving, whether we give little or can give much. Is there anyone who does not at some point question or worry about their resources and their abilities or their capacities? And what's amazing here in our text in Exodus is that the one whose capacity gathered little never had too little. And remember that this week in your life with the Lord and your engagement with the Word. Now, I'm not condoning sloth or neglect or dereliction of spiritual duty or disengagement or disobedience or withdrawal and saying, hey, it's all going to work out fine, because it won't. It's talking about the commitment to obey and gather spiritual provision as best as you are able, regardless of your estimation of capacity or ability or capability or how you compare yourself to somebody else's spirituality. And at the end of the day, we all know it's not about our ability to get, but it's about his ability to give. And it's interesting that those who gathered much still had to deal with the fact that they had to digest and apply what they received. And if they didn't, it went rotten on them. And their much was less effective than somebody's little. This kills spiritual pride and spiritual elitism. So I'm not questioning all that God's done in your life, that big spiritual gathering experience you may have had years ago, I'm just telling you that none of us can live comfortably for years off that experience. It can't feed us always today. And the huge input of teaching and the knowledge we have won't necessarily feed our soul today or fuel our intimacy with Jesus today. Sometimes it just goes rotten. But little by little, just a touch of your presence, just to hear your voice, little by little, Lord, And it's remarkable how there's enough spiritual provision for the day. Maybe you could meditate as I was on that balcony sometime on 1 Kings 17 that, uh, you know, when the fat, it's just like a fat preacher comes into town, you know, where Elijah goes into town and says, would you bring me a little water? Hey, preacher boy. Uh, If it's a drought, how many of you know a little water is a lot of water? And he doesn't stop there. Oh, a handful of flour. Well, there goes all the bread for the next uh, for the next month. And there's this, uh, again, Jesus nearly got killed for mentioning this incident in Luke 4. But it's another example of the way God chooses the most unlikely means of provision. Why does God annoyingly continue to delight in what is the least and the least likely and the littlest? And she's quite cynical, the woman. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, not my God, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. She's struggling, believing, and trusting God. And the prophet has a word of knowledge. He said, do not be afraid. He identified that fear was the root of what she was dealing with. And it's a fascinating uh, picture, I think, and a a pastoral uh, picture of how God sometimes works in circumstances to get us to use up, to get to the end of our own resources in order to break into the supernatural. To fight with a natural to come to the place where there is the flow of the supernatural. And I wouldn't be the first person that has needed God to knock the bottom out of my jar. It doesn't matter if it's little dear heart. What matters is the continuous flow 
like this flow of oil. It's not about the quantity, it's just the flow. Better a two-ounce jar with a continuous flow than a 50-gallon full jar where nothing's moving. Little did she know that God would be raising her dead son. Woo. And it wasn't because she was the mightiest woman of faith in town. Provision. Little by little. Profession. I mean, most, so many believers get, we have this terrible phrase in England saying, you get your knickers in a twist. Shouldn't use that in church. And I, did I? Really? <laughs> the Syrians brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, 2 Kings 5 2. I don't know how you evaluate yourself. Uh, I don't know how you evaluate your witness. I don't know how you evaluate your capacities. I'm sure she was little in stature. She was certainly little in terms of influence and position. But boy, was she faithful in her communication which she directed to someone who needed it. And there's no further mention of her anywhere in Scripture, and yet here I am in 2019 mentioning her. A little maid, but a major mission to a pagan nation. And there's so many amazing stories in the kingdom of God of this that we should be convinced by it. How many, how many of you know the story of Edward Kimball, for example? I'm sure your pastors have told you it. The story of Edward Kimball? I mean, a no-namer. We're all no-namers. And uh, he taught in the Sunday school. Uh, there was a kid working at a local shoe store who drove everybody crazy. He was, uh, Kimball described him as spiritually darker than any other child he'd met. But, but uh, Kimball had the uh, joy of leading him to Christ, as unlikely as Naaman. And his name was Dwight L. Moody, pioneer in mass evangelism, reached millions in America and Europe. In, went to UK, pastors rejected his fire and passion, including one arrogant pastor named F.B. Meyer, who then found two women in his church teaching Sunday school, inspired to reach kids for Christ through Moody's story, so he decided he'd support Moody. So Moody invites Meyer to the United States, and under his teaching, Meyer's teaching, a struggling young preacher named Wilbur Chapman, is transformed, launches into evangelistic ministry, and reaches millions for Christ around the world. Chapman's advanced man for these missions was a former YMCA clerk named Billy Sunday, influenced by Chapman, who also started to preach all over the U.S. And Billy Sunday did a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of converts there formed a prayer group asking God he would continue the ministry of evangelism to the world through the people of Charlotte. They organized a crusade, invited the cowboy evangelist, Mordecai Ham. Teenagers came to Christ in that meeting and walked the sawdust trail that included a young man named Billy Graham. Does anyone know anyone who came to Christ through Billy Graham's ministry? When you ask that in the church, just about everybody's hand goes up. My, my mother-in-law, who, who stood against things, ended up, it was, it was below her station, to go to Billy Graham. She got soundly converted at the last London crusade that Billy Graham did and, and died six months later. I had the privilege in the late 80s of being in the pastor's gatherings that brought Billy Graham to our city. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. I mean, did Kimball know that little Sunday school class, that little snot kid, what was going to happen? 
I've only, I, I've only had uh, well, that I know, one experience of that, but you just keep doing the little guys. That's what I'm saying. I remember after I graduated uh, Cambridge, I was teaching, and I was invited back by students to do uh, an evangelistic outreach at Emmanuel College. I rate myself as an evangelist zero. And I, I went up running scared, and, you know, they're all bringing out the dogs on you, you know, all smart Alex. And I was, I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. And I battled, I struggled, I, I, I shared what was on my heart, and I went home despondent, and I said, don't ever let me say yes to another meeting ever in my life. Years, 20 years later, it was 20, 20 years later, I met the guy again who invited me and called the meeting. And I was just, I said, oh, I said, Pete, man, that was awful. I am so sorry. That just, what a bomb that was. You know, that was just terrible. And he looked at me and he said, did you not hear what happened? There was a young man there who gave his life to Christ. Who has, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you his name. He's, he's actually a global figure. Uh, launched the largest outreach uh, to AIDS patients in Europe and the UK. Uh, phenomenal spokesman for justice. Um, he, he's a thousand times the man I'll ever be. He's been given a global influence. I'm just saying that not to make any, you know, oh, hey, well done, Stuart. That was great. There was, there was, you see, it can only be all God in those situations. I don't even think I made a word of sense. It's just a little, mate. It's just a little. We trust God. It's the next little step of obedience, especially in our witness. And as you go through Scripture, you do on your study. It's, it's those moments when we're just asking for a little. I'm thinking of Ezra. They're all under pressure. Oh, God, give us a little space. And God gave them a little space. you know how long that space lasted? 80 years. How great is it what God does in our little? Hallelujah. There's nothing ever little about a space that's filled with grace. And it's always the preface to God being God. Am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe? That you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who shall be a ruler. Scripture delivers us from the external judgments of place, size, quantity, capacity, history, location. Sadly, those things become too important to our churches. A pattern is emerging. It is the little that bears the big. The incarnation, the birth of the greatest ministry on the planet, comes from the little place. Out of the little, something came for him. And I think you're getting the idea. Little by little, by and through the little, God does amazing things in a through us and for us, which of course convinces us it's all of him. Better is the little with the fear of the Lord and with righteousness, Scripture says. And so, you know what that does, guys? For all the pressures of time and all the stuff we're talking about this weekend and the stewardship of time, it lets me and all of us into the purposes of God. Little manna, little jugs, little jars, little space, little place, little known, seems to be the key word for the manifestation of God's greatness. Go on for hours, but maybe in your devotions this week, just crawl through the scriptures and the gospels and just look at Jesus. Let the little children come to me. Receive receive the kingdom like a little child. Really? 
I praise you because you've revealed these things to the little children. Little flock, the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Kingdom of God like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds. Faith as small as a mustard seed. The widow with the two small coins. The seven loaves, the small fish, small fish, small as the gate. It's for small people. David was the boy. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. It's interesting that in Revelation, Philadelphia, the church that described with little strength, outlasted every other church. Lasted 1,400 years and then only fell because of division within. Because you've been faithful in very little, says Jesus, I'll give you authority over 10 cities. And it is not till heaven will fully understand the relationship between our small steps of obedience, of faithfulness in a little, and the mighty effects and outcomes they displaced to the glory of God. It's better to steward the little well, to take that next small step of obedience, dear heart, to satisfy the intentions of Father God and take a big stride in the flesh to fulfill the expectations of men. So, dearest Grace DC, even as we seek to be changed by the heart of God in the city together, rearranged by his intentions, whether it be for racial reconciliation, unity and diversity, social justice, transformation, and please God, a reviving move of your spirit. Let's, let's put aside all these little faith disclaimers that let us off the hook and expect the Lord to lead us all together little by little in a way that we can occupy and possess a new country and a new culture, not necessarily all at once, but with increasing maturity as together we take the next obedient little step. I don't know what's little for you. I don't know what's of limited capacity and ability in you. I don't know where in your life right now there's little resources supply. I don't know where faith seems smaller than a mustard seed. I don't know where it seems hard to believe that only a little yeast of the kingdom will make a massive change in the situation. I don't know what for you is the next little step that the Lord has shown you to take. But my Sunday school thought and word to you tonight is simply this. Thus says the Lord, dear heart, little by little, little by little. Amen.